0: I didn't realize it was uh, bring your own lectern night, so if anybody brought your own, you can bring it up here like I did. All right. Tough room. You guys are used to seeing me sit in a chair, so I'm throwing you off by standing. That's the that's the deal. All right. Well, before we open the word, uh, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to praise your name tonight. Lord, we thank you for the chance to open your word and reflect exactly what you did on our behalf. Father, as we're going to dive into the Old Testament, and we're going to look at words that spoke of you long before you ever stepped foot on the earth, uh, the reality is you always were. And the truth in our lives is you always will be. And so, Father, we thank you, and we praise you for that. Lord, please bless our time together as we fellowship and we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, if you've got your Bible with you, or if you do not, there are some in the seat pockets in front of you. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12 this evening. Uh, Welcome in on this beautiful Good Friday evening. And we are going to turn to a passage that maybe you wouldn't have thought of right off the bat for uh, Good Friday. But we're going to be looking at the passage that covers the Passover from Exodus chapter 12. I referred to this on Sunday as we were looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus, but this passage gives us some very clear pictures of exactly what Jesus was up to on that night and throughout what is known as the Passion Week. As you make your way towards Exodus chapter 12, let me just remind you that this particular scripture was written 1,500 years before Jesus would step foot. Into Jerusalem. And so, amazing uh, parallels that we're going to see between what he did on that week and these words that were written uh, by Moses all those thousands of years prior. As you head that direction, let me just remind you that uh, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. He was uh, the most powerful man in the land, and yet uh, he had a big problem because he was in God's sights. Now, as we look at uh, God giving Pharaoh a choice, he was really giving a choice to Egypt, which is known in our Bible as the world. Egypt is always a a picture of the world in our scriptures. And what we see is God giving warnings to Egypt, giving them opportunities to turn, giving them opportunities to change, to allow Israel to go. And what God was really up to was he was giving them a choice. In fact, he gave them uh, nine choices leading up to this final choice. And, and, and it's one of the things I love about the Lord, and yet it's also frustrating at times. He gives us choice. He gives us free will. He gives us opportunity to make up our own mind. But what we find is, is God is giving them a choice. What the choice really boils down to is, uh, will you obey or will you not obey? Will you obey the word of God or will you not? And the cost of disobedience, what you all know is there's always a cost. There's always a price to be paid. What Paul says in Romans chapter 6 is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so here we see the wages of sin is being weighed out there. It's going to look like death come upon the world unless the lamb is substituted, unless there is a substitution to come between us in certain ruin that death is the result and so we see this as being presented now to Egypt and when we reflect upon our time that we're going to spend in scripture and we pull it all the way forward to the time of Jesus what John the Baptist says is behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world John got it he understood what was getting ready to take place And Jesus, we're going to see throughout this scripture, all these years before, what he would tell the Pharisees in John chapter 5 is that you search and search the scriptures thinking that in them you'll find life, but the whole of the book is written of me. It's all about him. It all points to him. And so we'll begin in Exodus chapter 12 verse 1, and we'll cover these first 13 verses and then we'll go back and look at it in a little bit more detail. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying that on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month." Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasting in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted. In fire, its head, with its legs, and its entrails. Verse 10 You shall let none of it remain until morning, and that which remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Verse 11 And thus you shall eat it with a belt around your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now verse 13 finally says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so we begin in verses 1 and 2 with God speaking words to Moses that, hey, I'm going to restart your calendar. An interesting place for God to start, isn't it? Like, I'm going to restart the clock. This is going to be the beginning of months. This is going to be the start of your new calendar. And what we see is God making another shift in the calendar. Thousands of years later, what we know as uh, 2023 A.D. In Latin, it is Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. What we know is prior to the time of Christ, it's known as B.C. Now, there are a lot of people that want to argue about uh, that terminology, but what I want to share with you, uh, regardless of any argument, is this. It's really more of a question. Do you have an A.D. and a B.C. moment? Is there a moment in your life where God restarted the calendar. Where he said things are going to be different from this point forward. Where you can look back on that old person and go, that was BC, that was before Christ, now I'm a new man. This is the year of our Lord. I'm a new woman, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. What God is declaring to us is to restart the calendar. Begin all over again as a new being. Continue in verses 3 through 6, where he says to the congregation of Israel, they're to take a lamb into the household on the 10th of this first month. Every man should take for himself a lamb. And so on the 10th day of the month, we talked about this on Sunday, this would be the correlation to the triumphal entry, that Jesus would come in triumphantly there into Jerusalem. So too with these Israelites, all those years prior, on that day they were to take the lamb into the household. And for four days, they were to examine the lamb, to look at the lamb, to see, uh, is there a flaw? Is there a blemish? Is there a weak spot? Is there something that makes this lamb not worthy of a sacrifice? What we find in the life of Christ is that for four days, he was there in Jerusalem. What was he doing? He was being cross-examined. Examined, spoken to. Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, the Romans. They were all asking questions of Jesus. All examining Him. Why was this so important? In Luke chapter 23, Pilate summed it up probably better than anyone possibly could after beatings and thorns placed upon his head. What Pilate finally came to was this realization. Luke chapter twenty three, verse four. And he said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. There is nothing wrong with him. He is perfect. That's what Pilate was communicating. What Peter would say in first Peter chapter one verse nineteen is this speaking of the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is what was necessary to take the place of our sins. And so Jesus was being examined for these four days. Now at the end of verse 6, what we see is on the twilight, on the evening of the 14th day, they were to take the lamb and they were to kill it. They were to execute the lamb. Four days they'd spent inspecting. Why is that so important? Well, it's more than enough time for them to inspect the lamb. It's more than enough time to be able to see, is there a spot? Is there a blemish? Is there something wrong? But I'd suggest to you something else would happen in this time period as well. For you parents that have younger kids, or you animal lovers? What you know is if you welcome an animal into your house, it doesn't take long before the kids begin to snuggle up to it. Next thing you know, uh, the lamb is now sleeping in the kids' room and they've got uh, cute little names for it, like Lamb Chop and and Lambie. And, and, and they're loving on this lamb. It becomes a part of the family, you see, after four days. And then you have to take the lamb. And you have to explain to the kids what the price of our sin, what it actually costs. You see, now it's personal. Now it hurts a whole lot more. And so I believe this time frame was put there in place so that it would be personal, so that it would mean something. We continue in verse 7. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they ate. They were to take the blood of the lamb, and they would use a plant called hyssop. And they would take that hyssop and dip it in the blood, and they would spread it over the doorposts along the side of the wood across the top in an interesting shape that looks an awful lot like a bloody cross. But they would do this with a a hyssop plant that was known for medicinal purposes. It was known for healing. Verse 8, And then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire. They were called to actually consume the body of the lamb. We're getting ready to take communion here shortly. Isn't it fascinating as Jesus broke the bread and he said, take and eat, this is my body. They were called to take and eat the body of the lamb, but not in just prepared in just any manner. The lamb was to be roasted in fire. You see, fire in the Old Testament and in the New is always a picture of God's judgment. And so prior to being eaten, the lamb would have to endure judgment, would have to endure fire. And so the lamb endures the fire, endures the judgment, and the people are able to then consume the lamb along with unleavened bread. Now you might remember that leaven in our Bible is always a picture of sin. And what the Lord is communicating to them Uh, Here at the time of Moses, and he continues all the way through with the Apostle Paul when Paul says, hey, you got to get the leaven out because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of leaven, you ladies that make bread know, it spreads all throughout the yeast. It, it, It grows, it ferments, it decomposes, it breaks down. And the same is true with sin in our life. What the Lord is communicating is, get it out. Get it out completely and utterly. Don't even let a little bit of leaven hang around or it'll leaven the whole lump. This is what we, they were called to do. Verse 10, as we continue, he says, You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. The lamb was to be completely and utterly consumed. Absolutely consumed. None of it was to be left. And What we find when Jesus is there on the cross and he is drawing his last breath, what he says is uh, to telestai. It doesn't mean uh, to be continued or hang on just a little bit longer. It means it is finished, paid in full. It's an accounting term. It means all the debts that have been racked up for you, for me, for everyone that has ever stepped foot on this earth, have been paid, not just a little bit, but completely and utterly wiped out and obliterated. His work was complete. The lamb was consumed. Verse 11 says, And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. You see, the lamb wasn't to be consumed in just any old posture. There was a posture, a way in which they were to eat the lamb. It wasn't to sit back, kick your feet up and relax, kind of a way. The way that He was being instructing the nation of Israel is they were to eat with a posture of action. As they consume the lamb, it, it should uh, call action into their mind. There's things that the Lord is calling us to do. When we take communion here in just a moment, you'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, what the Apostle Paul communicates. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. There are words there of anticipation. The Lord is up to something. He's doing things. He's out there moving, and His command, His call to us, the opportunity, really, that we have is to come alongside Him. We get a chance to be readied. There are comparisons between the communion table and the Passover table. And as we are going to have an opportunity to take communion, here's some of the things that we can ask ourselves. Lord, what what leaven is in my life? What thing is here that I'm hanging on to that you want to deal with right here, right now, in me? And then as he deals with us, and he's so gracious in the way he deals with us, as he deals with us, we have the opportunity to then say, Lord, what are you calling me into? What have you got going on that I can be a part of? I'm excited, not as a requirement, But as a desire, I want to. It's not a have to Christianity. It's a get to. I can't wait to get to be a part of what you're up to. Now to some, that feels a lot like work. (laughs) That feels like a lot of of effort being put into it. But understand, our time here is short. We are called to eat with a posture of readiness. And there is coming a time. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9 says that we are all going to be called to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So if you're looking for rest and relaxation, hey, he has promised us there's going to be a day we're going to be able to kick our feet back and know that everything is taken care of, not just positionally, but practically for all of eternity. At that point, it looks like rest, relaxation, and cheering on Jesus. But right now, we have an opportunity to come alongside him, to be a part of what he is up to, to eat with haste. Finally, Verse 12, he says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Did you catch what the Lord was looking for? As he passed through the land, he was not looking on the house to see which house had the highest value. He wasn't looking upon the house to to see who inside the house was the most righteous. He wasn't even looking upon the house to see who was the most sinful. The only thing that mattered, the only thing that allowed death to pass was the blood of the Lamb. He was it. This was what he is pointing to. But notice also with me that where the blood needed to be applied. The blood wasn't to be applied on the inside of the house. They were called to actually open the door, step outside, and apply the blood for him to be able to see and for everyone else to be able to see. What Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, is this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. What he is saying is, you've got to open the door. You've got to open the door to welcome him in and take a step of faith to apply the blood. It's not enough to just know about the blood. We have to apply it in our lives. We have to apply it in our household. We have to apply the blood to our families. Finally, as we wrap up, I want to just look over this between verses 3 and verse 5 because there's an interesting change that takes place. In verse 3, they were called to take for themselves A lamb. You see, as we begin to come into a place like this or begin to come into a relationship with the Lord, maybe we're just hanging out, hearing about Him. We can learn a lot of things about a lamb. He was a great teacher. He was a great healer. He was a great speaker, magnificent. But that's not enough. Verse 4 says, The household is to take the lamb. You see, a transition happens. After we've learned about a lamb, we then come to the realization that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a beautiful realization to come to. He is the lamb. All right. That's not enough either. Because what happens is Sunday after Sunday if you were anything like this guy was for 35 years I could hear an awful lot about the lamb and even know that he's the lamb but there's something missing verse 5 says your lamb shall be without blemish you see it has to be personal it's not enough for him to be a lamb or him to be the lamb He has to be your lamb. He is your salvation. It is personal. It is individual. And as we apply His blood in our life, at that point, He can do an amazing work in us only when you make Him your lamb. And so, Father, I thank You and I praise You for truths that are hidden all those years ago, obvious that You're speaking about Yourself, Lord. We thank You so much for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That You loved us so much that You were willing to endure and endure and endure an immense amount of pain and torture and punishment all for us and not just us, all for me. That's when it gets personal, Lord. When it's it's me that nailed you to the cross. When it's my sin that you died for. When it's my accounts you settled up and you paid a debt that I couldn't pay on my own. Thank you, Lord, for making it personal. Thank you, Lord, for stepping in to my place. Father, as we're going to have an opportunity to just reflect upon you while we take communion. I pray that it be personal. I pray that it be individual. Thank you for being our lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.